morning as you're seated, if you have your Bible, take it out. And this morning, turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke 12, we're just going to continue our study through the book of Luke as we're just walking through that book verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Just looking for me is the greatest story ever told because everything in Luke, everything in Luke is about Jesus Christ and He is the greatest story and the story that God has not only used to change our life but a story He has put in our heart to tell others so it can change their life. So this morning we're going to continue our study in Luke chapter 12. But before we do that, we are going to quote our scripture memorization this week. As a church, we are memorizing the Sermon on the Mount together. And so we are in Matthew 5, memorizing Matthew chapter 5. And we're just doing two verses a week. And so what we try to do before every sermon is just quote the scripture that we memorized this week. And so for this week, Thanksgiving week, we memorize Matthew 5, verses 23 and 24. So we are going to quote that together. So are you ready to quote that? Evidently not. Okay, so are you ready to at least hear it, I guess? I don't know, but hopefully you are going to quote it. So I'm going to say it, and not by myself. Amen? Amen. Yeah, somebody said amen. So you're going to say it with me. So Matthew 5, verse 23. Are you ready? Okay, no. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and suddenly you remember that someone has something against you, Leave the sacrifice at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. All right, so that was pretty bad. Okay, so hopefully next week you won't have a food coma to use as an excuse as we come to church. You won't have Thanksgiving as an excuse. You will memorize our scripture. So we'll be still in Matthew chapter 5. We'll be verse 25 and 26. We'll memorize that this week and then quote it next Sunday morning. But this morning we're looking there at Luke chapter 12. And we, this week, hopefully, you're going to be praying about missions. And you're going to be praying about our mission to the ends of the earth through the International Mission Board. And as one of the ways we do that is by giving to our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. So as we focus on Lottie Moon this week and pray for our missionaries as Southern Baptists, I just want to share with you one of the things I think the Bible teaches us specifically in the area of giving. And one of the reasons that, honestly, I am a Southern Baptist is because of missions, because this is what we do as Southern Baptists missionally. We believe that we can do a lot more together than we can do apart. So there are roughly 46,000 Southern Baptist churches around the country this morning. And what we do is we take our resources, we take our money, and we invest it together and give it together. And we give it to missions so that we can impact the world rather than just trying to impact our little area of influence that we have. If we were a church just doing missions on our own, there's no way we could reach the ends of the earth by ourselves. We don't have the people to send out. We don't have the resources to send out. But 46,000 churches together, when they pool their resources and money and give it together, we can do much more together than we can do apart. So that's why we give cooperatively as Southern Baptists to the Lottie Moon. And we give so that more can go. And this year we'll collect roughly $65 million for missions through all of our Southern Baptist churches just this time of year, Lottie Moon. And every cent of that will go to the mission field to sustain our missionaries so that they can share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And listen, we need more missionaries and we need to give more and we need to go more because we are not penetrating darkness the way God has commanded. There are still over 2 billion people on this earth that have never heard the name Jesus. 
Not that don't know the biblical story about Jesus. They've never even heard about Jesus. So that means a little boy or girl will be born this morning in 2019. And they will grow up. And they will live. And they will get married. And they will have a job. And they will have kids. And they will live their entire life and die and never hear the name Jesus. Now think about that. Now why is that? Is that because God doesn't love them? Well, of course not. God loves them with an endless love and he died on a cross for them. That's what Jesus Christ did. But for whatever reason, God has chosen for everyone on this earth to hear about Jesus Christ through his word. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And once you become a follower of Jesus Christ through his word, what does he command you to do? Take his word and share it with someone else. And he tells us all over the Bible. In Matthew 28, in Mark 16, in Acts 1, he tells us to take the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to the nations, to the ends of the earth. And the only way that they will hear is if we go and we tell them. So the problem with two billion people in the world not hearing the name of Jesus is not a God problem. It is a us problem. Because God, especially the church in America has enriched us with resources and wealth and technology like the world has never seen. But what have we done with that wealth and those resources and that technology? We've used them for ourselves. And for our comfort and for our prosperity rather than for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And listen to me, that is contrary to Scripture. Contrary to what the Word of God says. And so this morning, as we look at Luke chapter 12, I want you to see what the word of God says, not what someone thinks the word of God says, not what someone interprets about the word of God. But I want you to listen to the word of God. Because as we've gotten to Luke chapter 12, we saw a few weeks ago that Jesus talks about one of the most important sins in our life, because it is the sin of our life. It is the sin of pride. And every one of us deal with pride. And every sin that we have in our life flows out of that sin of pride. All of sin flows out of pride. And because we have pride in our heart, we rebel against God and we run away from God because we think we can do it better. We think we know better and we think our way is better than God's way. And that's why we sin in the first place. And all sin flows out of that. No matter what sin it is, you can trace it back to pride. And in Luke chapter 12, Jesus gives us three fruits or manifestations of pride. And last week we talked about one of that, those, and that's the pride of the sin of hypocrisy, which flows out of pride. And that sin is the sin that Jesus confronts in Luke chapter 11. In Luke chapter 11, he confronts the Pharisees. And as he's talking to the Pharisees, he deals with them. And they talk about what that sin is and what is going on in their life. And then he confronts it. And we saw that the cure for hypocrisy is humility. Well, today we're going to see another sin that flows out of pride. And next week we're going to see another one, another manifestation. And this morning we're going to see greed. And how greed changes our lives and makes us more like this world and less like Jesus Christ. So this morning I just want to read this text. And then I want you to see what the Word of God says. So if you had your Bible, look there in Luke chapter 12. And I'm going to start reading in verse 13. Luke 12, verse 13. This is what Jesus says. Verse 13, Then someone called from the crowd, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, Friend, who made 
a judge over you to decide such things as that. Then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have enough room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have enough room to store all of my wheat and other goods. And I will sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. You will die this very night. Then you will get everything you work for. Then who will get everything you work for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not to have a rich relationship with God. And this morning, as we look at this text, I want you to see three things in this text. But I want to say just a couple of things before we look at this text specifically. And number one, I want to say, as we talk about greed and as we talk about money, this sermon is really not about money. This sermon is about your heart. Listen, God doesn't care about your money. He doesn't. Because God doesn't need your money. He owns it all anyway. He gave it to you in the first place. But God does care about your heart. And your money reveals the condition of your heart like nothing else. How do I know? Because the Bible talks about it over and over and over again. In the Bible, there are roughly about 300 verses on prayer. There are about 500 verses that talk about our faith. But there are over 2,000 verses that deal with how we manage and steward our money and our possessions and our resources that God has given us. God realizes that your generosity or your greed is a window into your soul. And it reveals not only about who you are, but it reveals what you believe about God. It reveals that. And guess who else knows that? Satan knows that. And that's why he tempts you in the area of money and wealth over and over and over again. And that's why we struggle with the area of lust and jealousy. Why? Because we are inherently greedy people. Why? Because we're prideful people. And greed just flows out of pride. Because we want more and more and more because we want to satisfy ourselves rather than allowing God to satisfy us. So this sermon's not about money. It is about your heart. But here's the second thing I want to say about this sermon, because this is really true. And I realized this in my life as I was studying that this week, as I was looking at these verses in Luke chapter 12. One of the things I've realized in my life that I have done, and I believe every church and every Christian does this, especially in America, is we take what Jesus Christ says and we basically marginalize it or we minimalize it. Or we'll say things like this. We'll say, well, Jesus said that, but for us, this is what he really meant. And here's what we're doing when we do that. When we take the word of God and when we try to make it sound more palatable to our ears or we take what Jesus says and changes its meaning because we like what it says better the way we hear it than the way Jesus says it. Here's what we're doing. We're taking the Jesus of the Bible who is the true and one Jesus and we're trying to turn him into the Jesus that we want him to be. Sanctification in life, that is the process of salvation after you're saved. Sanctification is just you becoming more like Jesus Christ. It is God taking you and molding and shaping you into the image of Jesus. But here's what we do so often when we come to the word of God. We take Jesus and we take him and we shape him into the Jesus we want him to be rather than the Jesus he is. Why? Because we want him to be more like us. 
And rather than God letting God transform our lives to be more like Jesus, we take Jesus of the Bible and transform him to be more like us. And that's why we change what he says, to make it more palatable in our ears. Why? Because everything we have been taught in life goes against what Jesus Christ says most often in his word. How many times have your parents ever told you, sell everything you have? Sell it, give it away. Have you ever heard that? Has your parents ever told you that? Even if they're Christian parents, have they ever told you that? I doubt it. So who do we listen to? Our parents in this world and churches who take the word of God and change its meaning? Or do we listen to the words of Jesus Christ? Who do we listen to? Oftentimes we don't like what Jesus says. So we say, well, what Jesus means for our context is he doesn't want us to become too extreme. He wants us right in the middle. And that's not what Jesus says. Many times what Jesus says is radical and it is extreme and it is not what we want to hear. And when Jesus says, sell all your possessions, does he mean for every person to sell everything he has? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But I know the way we deal with our money is not the way God teaches us to deal with our money in the word of God. It's just not. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus Christ, the man we served, the man we followed, never owned anything in this world? He was homeless. He was homeless. He didn't have possessions. He died with the clothes on his back. That's all he had. That's what they gambled for at the foot of the cross. But yet we see Jesus and we think Jesus in our American context, he wants us to prosper. He wants us to be wealthy. He wants us to be healthy. He never wants us to go to a dangerous place and do things he calls us to do. Why? Because he would never tell us to do that when he says it over and over and over again in his word. Don't change Jesus into who you want him to be. Read Jesus for who he is and let God change you into his image rather than the converse. So I just wanted to say that before we look at this text because we're in danger of that. Because oftentimes in the word of God, we don't like what it says. So as we look at the area of greed and generosity and how they are a window into the soul, I just want to say three things about greed because Jesus says there, guard yourself against greed. So how in the world can you guard yourself against greed? Well, number one, you've got to know what greed is. And greed, according to Jesus, is foolish. It is foolish. Now, I don't know if you remember our translation from last week, our Bible verses from last week that we memorized, but there was some harsh language in Matthew 5 because Jesus said, if you call someone a fool, you're in danger of the fires of hell. So I don't use that word lightly when I say greed is foolish. But Jesus is the one who uses that word. God said, you fool, to this rich young farmer. Why? Because he put his trust in these possessions more than he put his trust in God. And that's why greed is foolishness. But oftentimes, when we hear words like that, and in our culture, they are so contrary to what we believe and what we know that we don't like them. So we try to contextualize them to us and we try to say they mean this rather than that. But that is not what God says. And many, many times in the Bible, God says over and over and over again that wealth is a barrier. It is not a blessing. 
We think wealth is a blessing from God when he says it's a barrier. And what is it a barrier to? Well, for many, it's a barrier to even enter the kingdom of God. It is a barrier to salvation. Why? Because you're so focused on the things of this world and the security that they give. And you're so wanting to satisfy yourself with them that you never turn and look to God. And when you do turn and look to God, you say, no, thank you. And you keep going the way that you want to go. Greed is a barrier to God. But even for Christians, even for those of us who know Jesus Christ, greed is a barrier to us. Because here's the thing about greed and generosity. Oftentimes when we think about greed and generosity, especially this time of year at Christmas when we seem to be more generous, we think that, well, we're not always generous, but we're not always greedy. We're somewhere in between. We look at someone over there that gives a lot of money and we think, boy, I wish I could be like them. And we see someone that's greedy and we say, boy, I'm glad I'm not like them. And we think we're right in the middle and we're fine with being right in the middle. Well, there is no right in the middle. You are either generous or you're either greedy. It's just the way it is. There's no in-between. You're either giving of your resources and giving freely and gladly, or you're hoarding it. You're holding on to it. Now, for many of us, we go back and forth between the two. Sometimes we're greedy, sometimes we're generous, and that's just part of sanctification. It's God working on us to make us more like Jesus Christ, and hopefully we're more times generous than we are greedy. But here's what I want you to hear. If there is never a time in your life where you are generous and you're always concerned about yourself and you're always concerned about what you have and what you can get more of and you're always holding on to it like the rich young farmer, then you need to ask yourself the question, am I truly a child of God? Because I tell you all the time that salvation is about life change. And if you truly are a follower of Jesus Christ, your life is going to be different after salvation than before salvation. And guess one of the areas of your life that's going to be different? The way you handle your finances and your money and your resources and all that God has given you. It is going to be different. If you don't believe that, go read Luke 19. Luke 19 is the story of Zacchaeus. And you all know the story. I talk about it all the time because that's where we get the vision of our church. But in Zacchaeus, he's setting up in a tree because he wants to see Jesus. And Jesus walks by and he sees Zacchaeus in the tree and he calls him down and he goes to his house. And that night, Zacchaeus' life is changed forever. How do we know? Because this is what Zacchaeus says. He says, Jesus, I will give away all of my possessions. I know I have cheated people and I've robbed people. I'll give four times what I've taken from them. And then what does Jesus say? Not before Zacchaeus says this, but after he says Zacchaeus, salvation has truly come to this house today. What revealed Zacchaeus was saved? The way he managed his money and gave it away. If you're truly a follower of Jesus Christ, your life is going to change in every area. And this is one of the areas it will change. And to be greedy is just foolish. Now money in and of itself is not evil. Money is just nominal. It's just marginal. It has nothing to do with anything. The same dollar that can be used for good can be used for evil. Money doesn't matter. It's the heart you have for money is what matters. Listen to what 1 Timothy says. Paul says this in chapter 6, verse 6. He says, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. 
For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the truth and they have pierced themselves with many sorrows. See, money is not the problem. It is the love of money and the desire or the craving for more money, which is just another way to say that you are greedy. This is just a picture of greed that Paul gives us in the Bible. And I'm afraid in America, this is who we are as a nation. And this is the root of what all of our problems stem from. A few years ago, a book was published. And it was entitled, The Day America Told the Truth. And the authors of this book, they just wanted to reveal how far Americans would go for money. And so they asked this question and did this study. And this is the question they asked. What would you be willing to do to get $10 million? Now, here's the results of this study in this book. 23% of Americans said that they would abandon their entire family for $10 million. Another 23% said they would become prostitutes for $10 million. 16% said that they would give up their American citizenship. Another 15% said that they would leave their spouse for $10 million. 7% said that they would kill a stranger for $10 million. And 3% said that they would put their children up for adoption if they could just get $10 million. You see what greed does to you? Greed rots your soul. It rots you. It changes you. Listen, I have never met someone who was greedy, who was not anxious, who was not worried, who was not selfish, who was living a life of peace and joy, never will you meet someone greedy that was living a life of peace and joy. Why? Because they always have to have more. But the converse of that is true. You will never meet a generous person who is mad about it. They are filled with joy, and they are filled with love, and they are filled with peace. Why? Because they're generous. Because greed is foolish. But not only is greed foolish, greed reveals a lack of faith. It does. Now, our farmer in the story, the rich young farmer here, he had more crops than he knew what to do with. And we see in this story that he trusted in those crops rather than trusting in God. How do we know? Because when he had an excess, when God blessed him and he had an abundance of crops, he thought to himself, what am I going to do with this excess? And never in his mind did he think to give it away. Oh, the poor could eat on this and they could live a long time or I could bless my entire community or I could give it to the church or I could do this or that. Never did that enter his mind. What entered his mind is how am I going to hoard and store more and more and more for me, me, me. So what did he do? He built bigger barns. Now, we know from the story that he already had barns. And his barns were big enough to store all that he needed so that he could live comfortably. But he didn't want to live comfortably. What he wanted to do was live for a long time and never have to worry about anything. And he said, I can sit back, eat, drink, and be merry. But in fact, what was he really doing? He was already worrying. He was already worrying about what he was going to do with the excess of his crop, right? So he already had a life marked with worry. Why? Because he was greedy. So he built bigger barns. So that he could have more stuff. Now here's the problem. For most of us, we live our life just like the rich young farmer. How do I know? Well, here, let me just ask you a question. At the end of this year, if you get a raise or if you get a bonus, what are you going to do with the excess? Are you going to give it away? Are you going to put it in the bank? 
what do we do? We put it in the bank, right? Why? Because that's what we've been taught to do, right? Of course. But is that what the Word of God says? So what does it say if we take excess that God blesses us with and throw it into the bank and save it for a rainy day? It says that we don't trust God with what He's given us. We don't trust God for tomorrow. That's what it says. It says, God, I think I trust you, but I don't know what's coming tomorrow, so I'm going to trust the money in the bank just in case I need it. You see how we take Jesus and shape him into the Jesus we want him to be rather than the Jesus of the Bible. And when we're greedy, it just reveals a lack of faith. It reveals that we really don't trust God. It's amazing to me that we can trust God for something as amazing as salvation and something as amazing of living eternal life in a place called heaven. But yet we don't trust him with this life. And we don't trust him for tomorrow. And we don't trust him with all that he's given us. It reveals a lack of faith. So I guess the great question is how do we overcome greed? How do you overcome greed? Well, the easy answer to how you overcome greed is just generosity. The way you overcame hypocrisy was humility. The way you overcome greed is to be generous. Why? Because when you are generous, you are like Jesus Christ. Go read Philippians 2. We read it last week. In Philippians 2, Jesus gave up everything and he came to this earth and he died sacrificially on a cross so that we can live. And we are commanded in Scripture to humble ourselves and be like Jesus. So if we're generous, we won't be greedy. Later on in Luke chapter 12, this is what Jesus says. He says in verse 32, so don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Now, don't just skip over that verse, because here what Jesus is saying is the king. God is going to give you the kingdom. And this is what he's going to do. Verse 33. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it and no moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. There the desires of your heart will be also. So where is your treasure? Is it in giving it or is it in hoarding it? You will either be greedy or you will be generous. You are one of the two. Now listen, I don't think these verses are in the Bible to beat you up and to make you feel bad. In Mark chapter 10, we have the story that is very similar to this about the rich young ruler. And there Chung Euler comes to Jesus and he says, Teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, Oh, just keep the commandments. Honor your father and mother. Don't steal. Don't murder. Don't cheat. And the young ruler says, Well, Jesus, I've done all that. And then the Bible says in Mark 10, 21, that Jesus looks at him and he loves him. And out of that love, this is what he says. He says, Then go sell all your possessions, give them away, And then come and follow me. Now why did he tell the rich young ruler that? Because he knew the rich young ruler loved his stuff more than he loved God. And the next verse says, 
that the young man, his face fell. And he walked away. He couldn't give up his stuff. And for many of you, your stuff is more important than God. And so what Jesus is saying is you've got to crucify the stuff. And the only way you can crucify the stuff is give it away. And unless you give it away, you're going to keep walking for the stuff rather than walking with me. But he says it out of love. Because he knows what's best for you. And he wants you to have an eternal mindset rather than one that is temporal. Think about it this way. Let's just say, out of the blue this afternoon, you get a call. And you get a job opportunity in, let's say, Australia. And so for six months, you're going to go to Australia and you're going to live and you're going to make more money in six months than you can make in ten years. Are you going to take that opportunity? Well, yeah, you're going to take that opportunity. Okay, so let's say you get to Australia and the company you're working for for six months is going to put you up in a hotel and you're going to live in that hotel and they're going to take care of every need you have and all you have to do is work day and day and then after six months you can go home. Well, what are you going to do with all the money you make in Australia? Are you going to go and are you going to buy new pictures and new furniture and a refrigerator and lamps and take them and put them in that hotel room? Are you going to redecorate that hotel room? Well, of course not. You're not going to do that. Why? Because you're only in that hotel room for six months. Are you going to go buy a new car that you can't take home with you because you've got to fly back from Australia to America? Are you going to go buy a new car so that you can drive in luxury for six months rather than taking public transportation? Of course not. But how do we live our lives on this earth? That's how we live our lives on this earth. Our homes are temporal. They are temporary. But yet we treat them like they're eternal. We make them nicer than anything we can make on this earth. And we want to live in luxury and we want to live in comfort and we want to be happy in our home. But Jesus is saying, you fool. You're going to die. And then who's going to get everything that you own? Store up treasure in heaven. Because that's your eternity. We don't understand how long eternity is. We can't. God describes this life on this earth as a puff of smoke, a vapor. But yet we spend our entire life trying to make that puff of smoke be the best puff of smoke it can be. Rather than living our life for the kingdom. And living our life according to the word of God. So how can you be generous? You give it away. That's what you do. And this is what's amazing to me in scripture. That in scripture when God asks you to manage your resources. And manage your time. And manage your wealth that he's given you. Rarely does he ever ask for a sacrifice. Now there are times, like in these cases, he asked for a sacrifice because he knew that that's what the rich and Euler needed. He needed to sell everything or he would never follow Jesus and he couldn't do it. But most of the time, all God asks for is a portion, not a sacrifice. 
All through the Bible, God asks for the first fruits of our wealth, our labor, our money, our time. The first 10%. He doesn't ask for 90% or 50% or even 30%. Only 10%. And he says, you can have the rest and you can do whatever you want to with the rest. But just give your first 10% to me. And this is his promise. Listen to Malachi 3.10. Malachi says, the prophet, bring all your tithes into the storehouse. So there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall far from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's army. This is the only place in scripture that God says to test him. Now, there are many places that God says he will test us, but this is the only place that says you have the right to test me. Give it to the storehouse, 10% to the storehouse, and that is just the local church. That's the temple. Give 10% and then try me. And if you are not more blessed, then basically what he's saying is that you're calling God a liar. Because if you do what God's word says, God will always be faithful to do what he promises. So I'm going to issue just a challenge to you. I believe you should do that according to the word of God, because I believe that is the biblical practice of giving. You should give away at least 10 percent of your resources. I don't believe you should start with one percent. I don't believe you should start with three percent. I believe you should start at 10 percent. Now, for some of you, you're going to have self-possessions to do that. Because you're wrapped up in so much debt and so much bondage, you can't give away 10% because you owe more to the bank. You're a slave to the lender. So like the rich young ruler, you're going to have to sell some stuff and give it away. But then do what God says. Give 10% and see if his word is not true. And I will give you this challenge. If you will do that for six months and you come back to me and say, John, I tried it, but God's word did not say what it meant and I am not more blessed today than I was before, we will give you every penny back from this church that you've given this church. Every cent, we'll give it back to you. And not only that, I will never preach another sermon in my life. Because if Malachi 3.10 is a lie, then all the Bible's a lie. Because the Bible says that God cannot lie. He is true. And so I'll never preach another sermon. But I can tell you from experience what's going to happen is God's going to bless you. But don't stop there. I believe not only should you tithe, but I believe you should give offerings. Because the verses just before verse 10, this is what Malachi 3 verse 8 says. It says, should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me, but you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings that were due me. So what's the difference between a tithe and an offering? Well, I believe a tithe or the first 10% goes to the church. I believe that's what the biblical practice is. But then I believe you're to give above that. I believe you're to give offerings to things like Lottie Moon and Annie Armstrong and to other ministries that need resources so that they can share the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are to give above and beyond what the Bible requires. That is just what the New Testament teaches over and over and over to give sacrificially. And if you do that, God will bless you. And this is how I know, just personal testimony. This year, Paige and I have been married for 26 years. And when we were first married in 1993, we made the decision 
that we would tithe. Now, in 1993, we did not have any money. We were just in college getting ready to close to graduation, and we were just making a few hundred dollars a week, and then we would go to seminary, and Paige would have a job and put me through seminary, and so we had nothing. But every month, we gave at least 10% of what God has blessed us with through our jobs or through whatever we were given. And for 26 years, we have done that. And I can promise you with all my heart that Malachi 3 is true. For 26 years, every year, Paige and I have been able to give more money the year than we did the year before. Every year for 26 years. Now, does that mean that we got raises every year of our life or we got bonuses every year of our life or we had more income than we had the year before? No, it doesn't mean that. There are many, 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 many years, most years, that I did not get a raise, but yet we were able to give more money that year than the year before. Why? Because God's word is faithful. And even though we might not have as much money, God blessed us and he made things stretch further and they went further than they should have because his word is true and we were able to give more away for 26 years. So test God and try Him. Because we need to be obeying the Word of God and not the teachings of man. I want you to think about something. Do you realize that this year in 2019 more churches will close this year than closed during the Great Depression. Now think about that for a minute. Why is that? It's because in times of need, what do we do? We run to God. What happens in times of abundance? We run from God. During the Great Depression, on average, Christians who went to church gave 3.3% of their money. You know what the average wage was during the Great Depression? $1,300. Yearly wage. Today in 2019 in America, average churchgoers give less than 2.3% of their income to the church or to charitable organizations. Because in times of need, you run to God. In times of abundance, you run from God. And here's the problem. When we're running from God, we don't even know we're doing it. Because greed rots your soul. And it is so deceptive that it deceives you and you don't even know it. So be generous. Obey God's word. And just see if he'll do what he says. Well, bow with me, Lord. We love you. And we thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that your word as it goes forth would change our hearts. And I pray that it would make us more like you. Lord, help us to be a generous people. 
Thank you for being generous to us. Lord, in this moment, I just pray that you would move through your spirit. And I pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. This morning as we close, we're just going to close with an invitation. An invitation for you to respond to God's word. I don't know what all God's been speaking to you. Maybe he's been speaking to you and revealing to you that you need him. Maybe you've always put your trust in yourself and in your things and in the things that you can do rather than putting your trust in Jesus Christ. This morning, you may need to humble yourself and come to God. You may need salvation. If that's true for you, this morning you can come and you can find Jesus Christ in this place. If you need Jesus, if you'll come to this altar, we will tell you how you can know him. Maybe this morning you just need to come to this altar and pray. Maybe you just need to humble yourself in this place and pray to God. Maybe you need to pray for others in your life that need Jesus. Maybe you want to pray for our missionaries and Lottie Moon or whatever. Maybe this morning someone just needs to pray for you. Maybe you don't have words to pray. You need some prayer. If you'll come, we'll pray for you. This morning I'm just going to ask you to respond to God. So stand to your feet. Worship Him as we respond.